Morning. How are you guys today? Present, right? Yeah. <laughs> Present. Oh. Have a good week. Yeah. It's been a it's been a good one. Oh. Well, thank thank you all for being here today. And uh, as we uh, go more and more into the book of Jude, I uh, th this week I was kind of struck. I, I just kind of wanted to ask a question. How, how many of us import, uh, set important dates on our phones? Yeah? Do you mark them on calendars? Do you do both? Because we still do both, right? <laughs> um, you know, and, and we set them on repeat on our phone, right? Because we don't want to forget an anniversary or a birthday. That'd be bad, right? Like, that was when? <laughs> You know, we, we need a reminder, right? We, we need reminders. You know, we, we mark them down in our phones and on our calendars. We uh, want to remember, hey, this, this happened. You know, this, uh, this person was, was born or, or this event took place. You know, personally, I, I look at it and I'm like, you know, I, I look at events like I married my wife. Or, hey, my, my children were born. You know, these are, you know, life-altering events. And nationally, we have days that will live in infamy. You know, and that, uh, that word actually means it has an extremely bad reputation. I had never really looked that up before. But it lives in infamy. And then there's a day that we will never forget. You know, whether those days took place back in 1941 or in 2001, I didn't... Man, it puts it in perspective. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, it changed, those days changed the course of our nation. You know, whether it was Pearl Harbor or September 11th. You know, and on the level of, on the world's scale, there are days that have changed the course of humanity forever. Whether it's the fall in the garden or the Son of God hanging on a cross for us. These events have forever altered the way history has taken place. And they are reminders, they're guideposts to learn from and to live because of. Oh, let's start with a, a word of prayer. Oh, Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can come together, that we can assemble and, and sing and sing to you, Lord, and worship you. And as we you know, come before your word, that we would open it and that it would pierce us and that we would read it, that we would understand it and apply it to today, that we would see uh, these guideposts and, and markers and reminders in the Bible and that we would be implored by them to, to live and to go forward, and we just uh, thank you for a day to be together, and we pray for everyone here and everyone that is unable to be here today, that they would have a blessed day, and that we would be before you, God. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Jude.
and we will be in verses 5 through 7 today. Uh, Let's read them together. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, (coughs) he has kept and eternal change, chains under gloomy darkness until judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Uh, today we come to see that Jude wants to remind the church community of something that they may have forgotten. The fact that God's judgment is coming may have waned in them. But they once fully knew it. They once fully knew that people who fully didn't trust God were afterwards destroyed. He writes to remind them of these events that serve as an example to the church. Jude starts off with, now I want to remind you. He wants to bring to remembrance. He wants to have believers recall what has happened because of what's going on. Through the Bible, there are warning signs and alarms and markers on the calendar, so to say, telling us, don't do this. Don't be like these false teachers, but instead be like this. Be what the Lord has called us out to be. Stay away from this or that, for it only leads to death. Now, please turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 20. And we'll just read the first six verses of chapter 20 on the first two of the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For the Lord your God is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and the fourth generation generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The first two commandments reveal to us God's character and worth of being worshipped alone. Uh, Dennis Prager, if I can say his last name right, I I would say Pager, (laughs) but says that God alone is speaking here. It's not Moses. It's not Aaron. God alone sets the Ten Commandments. It shows us that he is worthy of being worshipped alone. God alone redeems and rescues He alone is the one that brings us out of slavery. 
So there are no other gods to be before us because they are unable to do this. They don't speak, they don't redeem, they don't rescue. Therefore, do not bow down to them or anything else. God alone does these things and he is worthy of our worship and our service. The first two commandments are paramount to all of humanity and the rest of them are paramount to humanity as well because they show us that our deepest sin is not against one another, but it is against God alone because we have all gone after other things. Jude is calling to the church to remember, saying, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, you know, as we hear something over and over again and again and again, it can lose its newness, I guess, if that's a word, or its appeal. You know, the believer written to here once fully knew and understood this, but now Jude is like shaking him awake. Now hear this. Take heed. Remember that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt. Jude points back to the Exodus, to the plagues, to the Passover, to these grand events in the Old Testament to show us who was doing it. Now please turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus 3. And this is what is said to Moses in verses 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent Moses to save the people out of Egypt. He is to be remembered forever. He is God, creator, redeemer, lawgiver, and rescuer. Jude points us back here because we need reminders. We need to look through biblical history and through our own history to see what God has done. So we can learn here so much of God's character and promise through biblical history and seeing his movements through our lives. And what really stood out here in this, uh, this part of it is the fact that you know, God is God throughout the whole of the Bible. You know, there's those that claim that you know, the Old Testament God is this begrudging God that you know, is just going to kill people. And the New Testament God is full of grace. You know, it, it never really made sense to me because Jesus talks a lot about hell and there's grace all over the Old Testament, right? You know, God, even right here, pulling his people, pulling Israel out of Egypt is grace. You now, Jesus is God. The Father is God and the Holy Spirit is God. Throughout the whole Bible, we see the Trinity 
we see the same God in one nature, character, and promise. Now, Jude tells, you know, of you know the rescue of Israel from Egypt, but he doesn't stop there, right? You know, he says this: God afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Those that didn't follow the Lord, that didn't follow his leadership, those who grumbled against the Lord, God actually says to them in Numbers 14, uh, verses 29 through 30, he says their dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. You know, they had fought against God, against his plans, against his leadership. They have tested God, and so God spoke against them. You know, the best question here when we you know, get to subjects like this is what, what kind of belief is being talked about here? You know, is it just a general belief in the fact that he is one and shudder? Well, even the demons do that. No, it is about a, a resting faith, a faith that trusts in the Almighty to not just be about knowing him, but to acknowledging him and resting in him. Please turn. Well, excuse me. I didn't know if I was going to sneeze or cough there. <laughs> Please turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And just the verse, uh, verses 1 through 3. I'll read. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their condemnation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made under the things that are visible. By faith we have assurance, because we rest in the God of all. We rest in him, in his character, and in his word. We understand the very backdrop of our world and of all creation. Now from those that were destroyed in the wilderness, Jude now turns to the subject of angels, saying this, these angels did not stay where they had been placed. He says this, the angels who did not stay in their own position of authority, you know, they rebelled against the Lord. They didn't stay where they should. Well, this you know, part brings us to, you know, two questions. What are angels and, well, what are their positions? What are they supposed to be doing? You know, we see this throughout the Bible and especially here in Isaiah 6, 3, is that they sing to God. They sing about who he is. They are, in fact, messengers of the Lord and they are, in fact, ministering spirits to the church, to those who will inherit salvation and along with those believers that they minister to, they are actually servants of the Almighty. Now, these are the positions that they have in the biblical context. Well, they didn't stay there. 
They, they left and faced judgment. Jude tells us this. He, God, has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, the Lord created these servant spirits. And they rebelled. And they face judgment. You know, the day will come. The believer, those that rest in the Lord, should be ready. And we can be ready because the word readies us. Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 20. And just read uh, verses 7 through 10. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out and deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they march over the broad plain of the earth and surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now the end is written. The prophecy prepares us and purifies us. It shows us here that there is no life apart from God. Not for rebels, not for Satan, not for the false teachers that Jude is writing about. Judgment will come. Now, we see that this is of great importance, that the reality of judgment is something that we need to live by. Now, it is important to know God, to point others to God, to, as we see in Proverbs, fear him and love him, because, as we see, that death is the wage of sin, and it is not a path to life. Now, Jude now turns from Israel and angels to two cities, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which he says, likewise, indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires. The history of these cities come to its point in Genesis chapter 19. And will please turn with me to Genesis chapter 19. I'll just read the first 11 verses. And two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And Lot saw them. He rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. And they then... You may rise up early and go your own way. And they said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he said, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread. And they ate 
But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, where, is the men, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door, and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not, not known any man. Let me bring them out to you so to do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, he has become, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal with you. Man, excuse me. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door. But the man, the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And then they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Now these men... These angels, these two angels came to town and, and Lot is actually sitting there at the square, sitting there at the gate and says, implores them, don't, don't stay here. So they, they come to his home and he makes some food, they eat. And before they can go to bed, all of the men of Sodom come that they may know these men. And that's it's not a conversation part. They didn't want to sit there and talk with them but they wanted to fulfill their unnatural desires. Now, the men of these cities apparently went and took folks coming into or traveling by their towns and, and fulfilled their unnatural desires. Lot tries to deal with them in a manner foreign to us, in a manner that is kind of sickening, where it's been explained to me once before that he's... He's dealing with them of how a Middle Eastern culture would, that you bring a guest into your home would protect them more than your own family, which is still even odd. So it doesn't, doesn't really fit sometimes, but it's you know, Lot is trying as, as best he can to stop these men. And even in sitting at the gate, he's, he's warning visitors of the town. He's trying to implore them to, to not be there. You know, these, these men refuse. And so they start breaking down the door and are actually blinded by the angels. You know, and they wear themselves out groping for the door. These verses alone show us that you know, these men did not stay where they should have stayed. Rather, they indulged themselves and pursued unnatural desires. You know, it is clear in these verses, it is also clear that this was not the first time. Uh, if you look back to Genesis 18:20, you can see that their sin was great and very grave, that the outcry was heard, and so the Lord went to see if it was true. And then after these events in Genesis 19:24, the Lord rains sulfur and fire on those cities. And we see this in the biblical context. That the wrath of God is upon those that surpass, surpass, <laughs> surpass, man, surpass, 
suppress. There we go. I'm there. <laughs> suppress the truth because of what can be known is plain to all that there is a God and God is clearly seen through creation. And so all are without excuse. And this also that they have known God. Man has known God and not given him glory and therefore has actually become foolish in their thinking, yet claims to be wise. But they have exchanged the creator, the almighty, for creation. So God has actually given humanity up to the lusts of their heart, for they have exchanged the truth for a lie. And therefore God has given them over to their unnatural passions. Now the downworld spiral that's seen in Romans 18 through 27 leads mankind to all sin and folly. And what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah actually shows us what will happen to the ungodly. Now these are not stories or myths or tall tales. It is, it is history, Jude says, that serves as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. You know, the thought of it, the history of these people, these angels, and these cities facing judgment, facing punishment is a reality check. Put here as an example before us, don't do what they did. Stay where the Lord has you. Stay safe in his hands. And if you're not there, come in. You know, come into his pathway and his plans. You know, to quote Winston Churchill, he said this, to fail to learn from history, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. So we pay close attention to it not drifting away from what the Lord has done. You know, this is the truth, the truth that the church community must face and handle, to learn from the past and live in the now and not go on repeating the mistakes of those in the past. That we would rest in the Lord, that we would fear the Lord, and that we would love him and point others to him. Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In verses uh, 1 through 11, Paul states this to the Corinthian church. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed to the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and, to ro and rose up and play. 
We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them as an example, but were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And let us not live a life unaware. Let us seek to please God, not the world. And let us learn from instruction that is from God. Every day we have the scripture to read. Now today we, we see that we all need reminders, right? No matter how far young or old we are in Christ, we need reminders. We see that even angels and Israel and the cities can be judged by the Lord. And we know for a fact that we will all stand before him. That we would live in, yeah, in integrity, as we talked about in, in Sunday school. That we would see these examples and, and know that judgment and wrath are a very real thing. And that as we you know, look out and maybe even in Jude's context... You know, people were saying these false teachers are, you know, gaining huge platforms, gaining huge followings. But there's judgment that we would be fully of knowledge of that, that, that the Lord's judgment will stand. You know, what this all means for us is that we don't just read our Bible as a good old story or a childhood memory. No, we actually let these parts of history inform us and influence us in our thinking and in our walk with the Almighty. It means that we should personally look at what we believe and why we believe it and see that it is not just a part of our lives, but is in fact the whole of our lives because it is the worldview that affects all of it of how we work and how we deal with people and how we deal with what's going on in the world even today. That we would let history remind us to not drift away from the grace of God towards other things and that it would equip us to walk by faith. Now this applies to today's world and how we read scripture, how we, how we take it in, that we would read it in its context, that we would not just study alone, but that we can come together here for Sunday school and for other studies and come together to see you know, the different points of scripture, that we would remind each other and show one another this, this history to live in light of the examples before us together. You know, we can you know, set different reminders on our phone and 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 know the date, right? I got married now. Hopefully we can remember, right? <laughs> you know, or my child was born here. You know, you know, those things are good. But the best marker, the best reminder that we can have is nothing better than this book, than the Bible, that pierces us through, it divides our hearts and minds, and is living and active, that we would become a student of the word of the Lord and come before him with a Bible in hand ready to read, to understand, and to go forward 
and the truth today. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Father God, we, we thank you. We thank you for your revealed word. We thank you for your breathed out word that reveals you to humanity that by no other way can we know you and the specific revelation that you have given us, Lord. That the Bible is utterly unique and alive and animated and that you know, your word would pierce us through that as we, as we study it, as we learn it, as we live in light of the history of scripture and live in light of the fact that you work in the lives of men. That you work to redeem all of humanity and we are so thankful for that Lord that by your blood, by the son of by the blood of your son, you are coming to redeem and rescue and put back together everything. And we await that day, Lord. And we thank you for today. We thank you that we can come together, that we can sing, that we can worship you together. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.